0: Thanks for joining us today for the Lighthouse Church Podcast. We love hearing stories about how this podcast and how our church encourages and allows us to use God's word to reach others, not just in our area, but all over the world. If you got a story about something you've heard on this podcast that has made a difference in your life, let us know by emailing us at amen at lighthouseag.com. We'd love to hear about it. Also, if you'd like to help this ministry financially, you can do so online at www.lighthouseag.com by clicking on the online giving and help us bring this message and others like it to you each week. Thanks for joining us. We encourage you to open your heart and minds today to experience a word from God. John chapter 8. The lady knew that she shouldn't be there. She knew she shouldn't be there. But there was something very exciting about the forbidden. Something in her heart said, stop, don't do it. And when it happened the first time, she promised herself that it would never happen again. Yet again and again, she was drawn back to what she knew was wrong, much like a moth is drawn to the flame. It wasn't that she didn't know better. Her parents had clearly trained her in the ways of the Lord. She wasn't ignorant of God's commands, nor was she ignorant of the consequences that her choices would carry with it. Because you and I know that every choice that we make, every decision that we make, ultimately carries with it a consequence. Each time that she began to toy with the idea of going back, Her conscience would cry out to her, no, no, don't do it. But something deep inside of her kept pulling her. Her conscience said to stop, but she wouldn't. She couldn't. She was literally trapped. At first, she felt so guilty and ashamed for what she had done. When she looked at her husband, she had never known such deep sadness and emptiness inside if she would have talked to her friends, some of the words that she would have described her soul as being a black hole. But over time, she began to try to do other things to cover up that emptiness and that shame. She began to justify her actions and she began to blame her husband. Surely it's it's his fault. She withdrew further and further from him and each time her anger towards him grew more and more. If he had been there, If he was more understanding, if he was more like it was his fault, it's his fault that I had to do it, she reasoned, and she despised him for it, but not quite as much as she despised herself. People in the community talk. You know how it is. You know how rumors get started and whispers get started, and the rumors were swirling, and on more than one occasion, they had nearly been discovered. But on this day, she was caught. Unbeknownst to herself, some of the religious leaders had heard these rumors and had been watching for them. And shortly after they met at their usual meeting location, the door burst open. They ran in, they grabbed her by the hair and drug her out. She tried desperately to fix her clothes and to cover herself as they drug her to the streets and into the temple courts. It was as if they took great pleasure in publicly humiliating her. And they drug her before this crowd, and they didn't take her to the outskirts. They took her to the outer courts there of the temple where there was a crowd of people, and there was a man standing, and they threw her in front of him, and they made her stand in the center so that everybody could see her. And in a loud voice, they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Those of you who know know that the teacher that they threw her before, his name was Jesus. And Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the perfect representation of the heart of the Father. Jesus had said these things. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the way that Jesus deals with this woman will reveal to us the way the father deals with his children. Now the Pharisees were right in their assertion. They knew what the law said. They knew they could quote it. They could backwards and forwards. They understood what the law said. And the law said that if she was guilty of adultery that she could be stoned to death and she should be stoned to death. You see, that was a similar fate that the prodigal son would have experienced had members of the community gotten to him before the father ran to him. When that prodigal son came walking down the road, if members of the community had gotten to him before the father got to him, they would have had a right to stone him for his ultimate disrespect and dishonoring of his father. But we find that the father ran to him. Now, the scripture tells us that Jesus didn't answer. Jesus simply bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Can you imagine what a spectacle this must have caused? A loud disruption in the midst of the temple courts Everybody would have turned their head in the midst of people coming to offer their sacrifices and to worship God. In the midst of it, there's this huge, loud disruption, and everybody is turning their heads and looking that way. Yet, one by one, the people begin to disperse. Now, we don't know what he wrote. Many commentators have different ideas and speculations of what Jesus wrote. We know that he writes something that causes the accusers to drop their heads and walk away. Jesus defends and he shields this completely guilty person from all of her accusers. Notice that Jesus didn't say, no, don't stone her. He simply made a statement. Those of you who are without sin, whoever here is without sin, pick up the first stone and throw it at her. Whichever of you. Whichever of you is without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. We'll stand here. He did not say don't stone her. And then one by one, you begin to hear a thud as stones begin to fall to the ground and the shuffling of people's feet as they turn and walk away. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Once again, I want to remind you that according to Scripture, Jesus is the exact, everybody say exact. He's the exact representation of the Father. I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus said and the order in which he says it. So you will understand what the heart of the father is towards people. Because the world wants you to have a a particular idea of what the heart of the father is. Certain teachers want you to have a particular idea. Satan wants you to have an idea of what the heart of the father is. So I want you to look closely and listen closely to what Jesus said. He says, woman, where are they? Where are all your accusers? Where are they standing? I don't see them. Where did they go to? And she says, there are none. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I want you to look at the order in which Jesus made these statements. He did not say, go and sin no more. Then I won't condemn you. He said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, they're gone. You shielded me from them. And he says, well, well, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Do you notice this? That there's no condemnation starts first. Not go and sin no more. He says, I don't condemn you. And since I don't condemn you, you can now go and sin no more. He did not say, I want you to get that in your heart. He didn't say, go and sin no more, then I won't condemn you. The no condemnation came first. That's why the Apostle Paul could boldly write to the church at Rome and say, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son, not just his son, his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might fully be met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This portion of Scripture follows the earlier discussion concerning the battle with sin. You're familiar with it. Paul talks about The things I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Am I talking to anybody? The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. And the things I want to do, I can't seem to do those things. And he finishes with this statement. It's really a statement that rings true in many people's hearts as they have this desire to draw near to God and to let holiness work its plan in their lives. He says, "O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Why is there now no condemnation? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Everybody say God did. God. Here's what you need to understand. Yes, the law is powerless because it's weakened by the flesh, because of our sinful nature, because of Adam's choices, and God understand us, but because of that, what did God did? God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And so while sin needs to be condemned, and a righteous God has to condemn sin, he chose to condemn sin in his son, Jesus Christ. He chose to put upon his son, Jesus Christ, all of the sin upon the world, and to punish him, and to offer him as a sin offering for you and for me. And so he condemns sin in the flesh, listen to this, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be partially met in us. What does it say? It says in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully, completely met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Remember, Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, all you foolish Galatians, Who has bewitched you? Who's confused you? Who's deceived you? To think that you can start this walk in the spirit and then somehow try to be able to finish it out through the flesh, through mere human effort, through mere human struggle. Now, here's what we need to do. I need to get more of the word in you so that it will change the way that you think about God's complete forgiveness. It'll change the way that you think about how God feels. You see, because all of us have this understanding, we sinned, we've fallen short. And we know that there's something inside of us that says that God's righteous requirements require that sin be atoned for. I don't know how it is, but it's made in people. There's something inside of people that says, I was wrong, there needs to be a penalty. Sin requires judgment. Sin needs to be dealt with. Let's get some more of the word into you. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, everybody say for for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Everybody say chosen. Chosen. You have been chosen in Christ. You have been chosen in Christ. Who will bring any charge against the ones whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. I'm sorry, but I think we need to say that. It's God who justifies. Say that with me. It's God who justifies. See, here's the deal. As long as you're trying to justify yourself, as long as you're making excuses for yourself, God can't get in there. Sometimes you've got to get out of the way. You've got to step back out of the way. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died? More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger and sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now look at the next verse. Nay, in all these things. No, in all of these things... We are more than conquerors. We aren't just conquerors. According to the scripture, it says we are more than conquerors. Everybody say more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. This is what God's word says about you. So here's what I want you to say. You need to exchange the things that other people have said to you with what God's word says, because it's truth. Okay? You need to change the way that you feel and your opinion about it. Your ideas about it or what your mind says to you needs to be exchanged for what the word of God says to you and about you. It says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, some of you are arguing with me already in your mind. You say, Pastor, but I mess up. I fall short. I sin. Well, the Bible tells us that if we do sin, we have an advocate who goes to the Father on our behalf. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Many people believe that God can forgive them for their sins before they came to Christ. They believe, oh yeah, I believe that God could forgive me for the things that I've done before I came to Christ. But doesn't he get tired of forgiving me? Doesn't he get tired of all of my mistakes and all of my blunders? And there's another thing that people often have in their minds. They have made up a set of sins that God can forgive and God can't forgive. You know what I mean? They have a list of them. Can I be honest with you? One of the reasons why sexual sins are challenging for people is because The Bible says that when a person sins sexually, they sin against themselves. They sin against their own body, okay? There's something very emotional about sexual sins. God created us for intimacy, okay? He created us for intimacy with one another. He created us for physical intimacy within the bonds of our marriage. And whenever we violate that principle, what it carries with it is it carries an awful lot of guilt and shame. And so what you'll have is you'll have people who will remember things that they've done years ago. There's a variety of different things like that. Where And this is not in my notes. This must be for somebody. The blood of Jesus is greater than any immorality that you've had in your past. The blood of Jesus is greater than than any perversion and, and dysfunction that comes from your past. But Satan wants to keep people, he wants to keep their sins, he wants to keep them secretive, and he wants to keep them ashamed. Because if he can keep you quiet and keep those things in the dark, then he always has something on you. He always has something to hold over you. But friends, the blood of Jesus, his blood covers all of our sins. The same blood that forgives the wrong attitude, forgives the murderer. It's his blood that forgives and that pardons and that covers our sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, before you started turning your heart towards God, before you wanted anything to do with God, before you were drawn to God, While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. Then it goes on to say, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more? Somebody say, how much more? more? Okay, so, so this is what he says. This is for you who struggle, who you say, Pastor, I gave my life to Jesus, but I got some of these things in my life where I keep messing up. I got some of these things in my heart where I'm struggling with. And I feel like I keep coming back to God again and again and asking. I don't want to trample His grace underfoot. But listen to what the Word says. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son... How much more, say it with me, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? How much more? Since you have been restored to God, brought back into relationship with God, he loved you while you were his enemies, while you, had, you completely rejected him, how much more will his grace be available to you today? His grace, the Bible says, that his mercies are new every couple of months. Whenever a due delivery comes in, no. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. Great is whose faithfulness? Great is his faithfulness. See, friends, I want you to know, when we are unfaithful, this is the crazy thing. When we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. When we fall short, His grace is there for us to call upon Him. I want you to remember the words of Jesus. He who is forgiven much, loves much. And he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, one of the challenges for us is to be able to receive the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God. Because if there's anything that will make you a miserable Christian, A miserable follower of Jesus, which that really shouldn't be. If there's anything that will make you miserable, is you have someone who, for some reason, will not grab a hold of the grace of God. Show me a Christian who's walking in bondage, and I'll show you a miserable person. It's like as if the religious leaders of the day, they took great delight in pointing out the faults and the failures of others. It was like it brought them great pleasure to embarrass them to humiliate them, to look down on them. But friends, when you've understood, when you've really grasped a hold of the grace and the love of God, and you see other people, there's something about judgment that kind of slips out the door. There's something about those attitudes of looking down your nose. You will still call things right and wrong. You will still at times address issues of sin. However, it's not done looking down your nose at somebody else. It's from somebody who's been there and understood the grace of God that was poured out in your life. The Scripture says that perfect love casts out fear, and it goes on to talk about how fear has to do with punishment. And the person who they've not, in essence, I'm a Richie paraphrase it. They've not been made perfect in love. They've not grasped that concept. Of God's love for them. And so they run around still fearing that God is looking as a God to drop the wrath on them. To bring them down, to destroy them, to humiliate them, to embarrass them. And yet we find that according to scripture, we find that Jesus shielded this woman. While everybody else is saying throw the stones at her, he defends her. Author Joseph Prince writes in his book, The Power of Right Believing. That's one of the books I'm reading. It's I read it and... Get good ideas and thoughts from it. He writes this. He says that Jesus is the overpayment for your sins. When I read that, something clicked in my heart. Jesus, the overpayment for your sins. Once you understand that you are completely forgiven, you will no longer be afraid or defensive when your mistakes, faults, and failures are exposed. Rather... You will find your security, peace, and assurance in the Lord's love for you. You are perfectly forgiven and righteous through Jesus' finished work. This is what Jesus has done for you and much more. Being who he is, the son of God, he is an overpayment for your sins. I want you to look to the person next to you and say, Jesus is an overpayment for your sins. And then say to him, well, Jesus is an overpayment for my sins. I want you to get that in your heart. Jesus, and let me go on reading what he wrote. He said, and he didn't just cleanse you of your entire life of sin, but he also gave you his very own righteousness and favor. Why? So that you could be free to enjoy being with God and receive all his blessings with no more consciousness of debt standing in the way. Now, first of all, I want to ask you, have you ever thought of Jesus being the overpayment for your sins? My parents always taught me, it just happened to me yesterday at a restaurant, I went for breakfast and I go to pay the bill and I look at the bill and I said, oh, you didn't charge me enough. Now, what's wrong with me? They did charge me enough, but not according to their prices. Okay. I looked at the bill and I said, oh, you didn't charge me enough. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You don't have to be Sorry. But it's not her money to undercharge me the prices. And so I stood there and they canceled that credit card thing and they ran another thing and they recharged me what they should pay me. My parents taught me that if you go somewhere and they give you five cents too much, you need to take, because mom and dad would do that. They would take the five cents. Hey, wait, wait a minute. You gave me a nickel too much. Wait a minute. The guy had already shut his thing. Oh, that's okay. No, no, it's not mine. So they taught me that you pay what you owe. And so one of the challenges that we have is in life, we feel like we have to pay. But when you think about this, Jesus way overpaid for our sins. He way overpaid. And so it's one of those things where we just graciously receive it, okay? We don't try to make up for what he did. We just graciously receive that he way overpaid for your sins. There is no debt that's still owed when Jesus has paid for your sins, okay? He's way overpaid. It's like if you go to a restaurant and imagine, Donna, someone comes in and get a soda, $500 in cash on the bill. I imagine you'd get them a refill, right? It would be okay. I'll give you a coffee. Hey, would you like a to-go cup? I'll give you a to-go cup to go with that. Actually, you can have one of our glasses. You just take that one with us as a memory of us. If they would give you 500 bucks for a soda, you would say that, Jesus is the overpayment for our sins. So whenever he bestows grace upon us, we don't have to feel guilty about receiving that because he overpaid for our sins. Now, the author also challenges his readers to become forgiveness conscious and not sin conscious. There's a time where we need to be conscious of our sin, okay? Okay. We need to be made aware. The Holy Spirit will convict us, but the enemy condemns us. Now, I want you to think about when you're sin conscious, what is your attitude like? When you're aware of your sin, usually our heads are down. Usually we aren't very thankful. We're not very joyful. When we're aware of our sin, we have these feelings of defeat and of discouragement. We have this feelings of, yes, I'm a loser. Yes, I messed up again. Yes, I failed again. When we're sin conscious, we want to hide from God. When you're sin conscious, do you want to be around other Christians? Usually not. Usually when we're sin conscious, we want to pull away to ourselves and get alone with ourselves. We withdraw. But what about when we're grace conscious? When you're overwhelmed by his grace, you want to run to God. God. Your head begins to lift up. Joy begins to fill your heart. Hope begins to fill your heart. You want to share with other people what God has done for you. There's a fire that's set ablaze inside of you when you're reminded of the grace of God, when you're grace conscious. So can I ask you as a church that there's times when we need to recognize our sin, but can we be grace conscious people? Can we be people who are filled with the grace of God because that's what's going That's what's going to draw the world around us. Not you going down and saying, yeah, man, I messed up again. Oh, man, yeah. Keeps you trapped. It keeps you in bondage. But when we become aware of the grace of God, you want to run and embrace him. The same words that Jesus said to that woman in the temple, he says to you. What did he say to her? Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave behind your life of sin. Other versions say, go and sin no more. I think the ones that talk about go and leave behind your life of sin, the reality of it is, is for us who are sin conscience, the moment that we make one mistake, we're very aware of our sin, and we say, well, I guess I messed it up. I, he told me he wasn't condemn me, but he's going to condemn me on this one now. Oh, he's going to be mad. He doesn't want to see me. He do not want to be around me. No, go and leave behind your lifestyle. Of sin. And follow Jesus. If I could leave you with something today. That's what I want to leave you with. When Jesus looks at you. Will you say pastor. You don't know what's going on. In my life. Jesus does. And to the person. Who comes before him. Let's say this. She didn't come on her own volition. She didn't volunteer. She didn't fess up. We could say, well, maybe maybe if she had came to Jesus and fessed up, then we could see him saying that. No, she was caught and she was drugged before him. And yet Jesus looks at her and shows her grace. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. When you understand that Jesus is not condemning you, it enables us. He doesn't say, go and sin no more, then I won't condemn you. He says, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. The fact that he's on our side, that he's fighting for us, that he has done all of these things for us, enables us to live a different lifestyle. All God's looking for, he's looking for an acknowledgement of our sin. The Holy Spirit will point those things out. Once you, God, I was wrong. That's all. That's what he's looking for. Just come into agreement with him. Well, pastor, you know, I made these mistakes. That woman had made a lot of mistakes. And Jesus said, I don't condemn you. That's the father's heart towards people.